The Incomparable Podcast, number 78, February 2012. We're back on The Incomparable Podcast. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and it's time for another edition of our comic book club. And this, love is in the air. Can you feel it? Can you smell it? Does love have a smell? If it does, I hope you can smell it. Love is in the air. It's uh, that time of year, Valentine's Day coming around. And who better to talk about love and relationships and things uh, about the human heart than the members of our comic book club? Because nothing says love like the comic book genre. So joining me here are two very loving people to their own spouses and not to each other. I should be clear. <laughs> I, I need to be clear on that. That came out wrong. Uh, Jason Brightman. Hi, Jason. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And Lisa Schmeiser. Hello. Hello. Attention comic book readers. This podcast contains spoilers for many different comic book series. So if you're afraid that we're going to ruin, let's say, the plot of Invincible or many other comics like i'm about to spoil the people on the podcast so this is why i'm warning you now go to the incomparable.com and look at the show notes for this episode and we will list everything that we're spoiling and if you are afraid you can just not listen but uh, we think you'll like it if you do listen all right with that out of the way, yes, our topic today in the comic book club is a broad one. Instead of talking about one book or uh, one series, we're going to talk about comic book romance. Uh, you know, interesting it suffers from a lot of the same issues as comic book storytelling in general. Um, you have long-running series. You have long-running relationships. You have relationships that come and go in various combinations. Um, something we were just saying before we started recording is – uh, Jason, you mentioned it's actually kind of hard to find role model relationships, re- reasonable relationships, yeah. real, reasonable, realistic, positive relationships in comics. Relatable couples. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is. And if you go back, uh, well, if we just want to jump right into it, the probably the poster child of of bad relationships um, was Daredevil. Super- I was going to say oh Superman and Jimmy Olsen. I was going to say Daredevil. Scott Summers is like a, clo- like a close number two, but I will give so you Darede- Daredevil. So Daredevil with everybody right. or Daredevil with Elektra? Daredevil or? with everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it actually started with Elektra. Uh, he you know, fell in love with this woman. Turns out she was deadly assassin. I hate uh, when that happens. They, it happens, They yeah. fought. They loved. I mean that part's pretty close to real relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh and she died. Then she, she was died. resurrected. She was, yeah, came well, back, died. Uh, but that's, that, you that's know, that so often happens in the Marvel universe. It does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and it turns out uh, Daredevil's an interesting character when he's suffering. So having him fall in love and then killing his woman repeatedly uh, made you know good sales and good stories, good drama. Sure. So they then did it again with Karen Page, which was like the next girlfriend, and but with her, she became a drug addict slash porn star. Then was they she killed the one her. who got the HIV? Because uh, one of them got HIV in there too. It wasn't enough for her merely to be constantly imperiled by his roster of enemies. She also got an incurable virus, and I cannot remember which one it was. Right. I don't think it was Karen Page, although she was a porn star. Of course. Uh, for the drug money before she was killed. Um, and that was during the Born Again yeah. storyline, which was also by Frank Miller. Uh, of course. And yeah, that, that man is not who you go yeah. to for your functional comic book romances. No, and, and then from there, there was a Typhoid Mary who ended up being a, a bad guy. Uh, and then there was um, the last one. They married Daredevil off to uh, another blind woman. Uh, you know, Daredevil's blind. Yes. Uh, Mia. Mm-hmm. I can't remember her last name. And her... 
uh, one of his enemies drove her insane and she had to go into an insane asylum, like completely catatonic. So the so unlucky in love, daredevil. Right. Well, or all of his just women are unlucky. Just do not marry loved. or date him or he's just bad news. Yeah. He's and then it's news. like Scott Summer. You never, ever date Scott right. Summers. Scott Summers, Cyclops from the X-Men right. yes. series of yeah, – of But course, doesn't he loved, only loved, date loved... telepaths or people who resemble telepaths he previously well, so dated? He lo- yes, he this loved, is the odd thing so about Jean, him. So there's Jean Grey who was Phoenix mm-hmm. and then she died and that was very sad. And then there's and, Madeline and Pryor. They went, and they went – I wrote that down. And they went like a good 10 issues before bringing back a duplicate of Jean Grey, Madeline Pryor. Right. Which like, guys, can – Again, this is a recurring theme. Can the comic book industry show any restraint in telling a story and leaving things alone for a little while? The answer is no. no. If, you, if they can wait a year, if you're lucky, they'll wait yeah. a year. Right. Jean Grey was left dead for a, a significant amount of time. Right. But the Madeline Pryor thing happened right. almost instantaneously. Yeah. <laughs> Comparatively yeah. speaking, yes. Wow. And they got married, had a baby. Uh, and, and then, then she, Jean comes back from the dead, and he totally ditches Madeline. It, it like that, and was yes, gone. Yeah, completely. Never mind the fact that he had a family and children with her. It was oh, my wife is back from the dead. Have fun, clone of my wife, who is actually. And I can't even they, remember the plot permutations. Where one of them's in, a, in this cask on the floor of the sea. Right. Blah, blah, that blah. brings us to wow. the Inferno storyline, which you can get nicely collected now on Amazon or mm-hmm. your local comic store, uh, where it was revealed that. Uh, Madeline Pryor was a clone uh, done by Mr. Sinister. Yes. The brilliantly titled Mr. Sinister. Uh, (laughs) Right. And then she When Mr. and Mrs. Sinister named their child, they didn't really know what was going to happen to him. It turns out he was going to leave to a life of crime. Maybe they were hippies and were like, he'll find his own path. Exactly. He'll find his own name. But Mr. technically his first name. He, he, you know. They were inspired by Mr. Mr., the band. Mr. Mr. Sinister, yes. So now the. Wow. Uh, I had a conversation actually with – Take these broken clones and and learn to fly. (laughs) Clones really complicate relationships. I think that's what we've learned already. And it happens a lot because they had that whole scroll thing with um, Hawkeye and his dead wife Mockingbird whom he thought came back from the dead. And it turned out she was really a a scroll. An undercover scrolling. Oh, and Scott – But then later came back. We didn't even mention that Scott 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 Summers ended up with uh, with Emma Emma Frost, Frost, the White Queen. Right. Who was bad and was was good Well, he was still hanging with with Jean because he was telepathically cheating on Jean with Emma Frost. Oh, that's the – again, okay, so telepathy – men out there, beware of telepaths. Telepathy and clones complicate relationships. What I want to know is why these telepathic women date Scott Summers because if you can read his mind, you know what he's thinking and you know it's not going to end well. Apparently he's very complex and they really enjoy that. They're like a rogue. Uh, yeah. yeah. Are there – Speaking of whom, oh, rogue, yes? there's the rogue and gambit couple. Oh. It, yeah. And, and I like how all three of us have simultaneously rolled our eyes so, at that one because yeah. so, truly it's – it's. So here's the thing about these uh, the, 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 these couples come and go and some of them keep coming back like, like, uh, like Scott and Jean. But a lot of them are – you know, it, it is the soap opera thing, yeah. which I said uh, earlier before we started. The um, comic books are – I've said this before. They're soap operas. They are continuing stories in the same way that soap operas are. And stable relationships generally – not entirely, but generally are not liked by that kind of drama because they want to keep pairing people off and breaking them up and having affairs and all this kind of drama. And so you've got a few relationships that seem like more like bedrock. Well, right now we're just talking about the mainstream publishers, Marvel and DC. Um, what I've noticed and my reading is nowhere near as vast as Jason. So this is a tremendous caveat is what I've noticed is in smaller imprints or imprints that aren't 
supporting the tights and flights genre is you're more likely to find a relationship that doesn't have all the sturm and drang of of a high school dating club. Well, there's realism injected into right. that. Yeah, that, that the slightly more. The heightened superhero comics relationships yeah. maybe don't. Although there or are some stable-ish relationships or have been yeah. in, in the superhero comics, they're 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 the exception, I think, more than the rule. I, I'm going to have to go out there for the, the, the big elephant around all of this mm-hmm. is a, a lot of that superhero stuff is just poorly written. Yeah. And the idea of if you take somebody's girlfriend or take the main character's significant other and torture them, that's just easy drama. Women in refrigerators. Women in refri- it's a women in refrigerator yeah. problem. It's, it's angry baby art, easy drama, mm-hmm. and if you're a mediocre writer – it's like putting a, a guy in a Nazi suit. Oh, yeah. bad guy! You know, it's well. Just this is what they did with simple. the green with the Green Arrow Black Canary wedding is, um, and this made me furious because I was a huge I'm a huge Birds of Prey fan, and they had done a really fantastic job over the course of Birds of Prey. Gail Simone had done this wonderful job of rehabbing the Black Canary character and turning her into somebody who was a plausible leader in battle and a plausible leader of people in the Justice League, and she goes to Mary Oliver Queen and I think one of the last Simone issues or one of the first um, – I want to say Ed Bennis but I'm not sure. Anyway, there's there's one issue of Birds of Prey where her friends basically stage an intervention with, Dinah, you and this guy have a really, really bad history. Are you sure you want to get into this? And she just blows them off and then you go into the Judd Winnick scripted wedding where it turns out that she doesn't marry Green Arrow. She marries his um, – she marries a bad – Telepathic guy. clone. No, more or less. It's a bad guy who morphs into Green Arrow and tries to kill her on the honeymoon night. It happens. It, and then they – What you going to do? The divorce was, rate's very high in and DC land so and Marvel land. I was peeved about that because I thought, you know, you've got almost 30 years of history with these two characters. Why would you – is it really worth the, 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 the temporary spike in sales to, to – um, Spike this on the wedding night. It it, it kind of speaks to this real adolescent fear of oh my god relationships. Oh my god, what if she asks me to do the dishes? So or, so okay, that is a perfect segue into yeah. into the the um, axe that I wanted to grind in this podcast, mm-hmm. which is uh, <laughs> at some at some point after about I think fifteen years of Spider Man, mm-hmm. and he and he had his girlfriend Gwen Stacy who was killed, which I think is the exception that proves the rule. Right? You can come up with a few examples of of deaths that were really shocking and basically basically permanent. And she's the where most the girlfriend, permanent death in the Marvelverse, where, right? Where the girlfriend in oh yeah, where the girlfriend in Jeopardy. Um, was done well and not, not cheaply, but it is the exception. And it was pretty shocking. Yep. Yeah. But uh, but then, so after about fifteen years, maybe or twenty years of the existence of Spider Man, uh, he's got his longtime girlfriend Mary Jane Watson, and there's a uh, they they are they get married, and there's a whole event where they get married in the comic strip, and they get married in the comic book, and they do a special issue and all that. And what's interesting about it is this is an attempt to. Uh, fundamentally changed Peter Parker from being this kind of kid who's who's on the outs to being this this uh, adult. young yeah. adult mm-hmm. who's struggling. Now he has to struggle with his adult relationships and trying to have a job and have a wife and have a family with being Spider Man. So it's different, but it's not. Um, it's not. It's different in in the details, but not necessarily right. in the in the overarching thing. So and, that goes for that goes for decades. And at some point, to to the reason that I thought of this when Lisa mentioned this. Um, is that at some point the editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics said, I don't think people want to have Spider-Man be married. He'd been married, I think, at that point almost as long as he'd not been married before that. It was, at least, yeah, over 20 yeah, years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? So, But they're like, oh, kids can't identify with that. We want to make him single again. And and so conveniently forgetting how many adults read. And so they take this bedrock premise and they and 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 they do it. Plus, they've got Ultimate Spider-Man, which they could, mm-hmm. you know, which is that 
old old Peter Parker kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. They so they um, they then badly execute this thing where there's a deal with the devil made and they were they're like retroactively time bubbled into not being married. Right. Because you can't all. have a divorce. No. You have to have a deal with yeah, the devil. Yeah, divorce is too much of a bummer. Yeah. You right. need to make it that they that they were never married. But what's interesting to me about that is not – I mean we could – and it's been harped on at length about how poorly that was executed. And it was really reads like somebody sent a memo. Joe Quesada sent a memo saying do this and then they did it and there was no real reason – story reason given. I, I don't want to talk about that as much as I want to talk about the, the underlying motivation which was – we have a character who's in a stable relatively – I mean, yes, there are clone sagas and she goes to the West Coast for her modeling career and all that. But basically, they were married for 20 years in real world time and uh, somebody in a position of authority said, people don't want to see that. We, we don't want a stable relationship with our character. Right. He's not as interesting with a relationship that, that lasts. We want to get rid of that. And I think the, uh, the thing that proves that's not the case, if you look at the um – uh, you can get it in trade paperback again now. The Craven's Last Hunt, which was the first storyline that happened right after Peter Parker's marriage to Mary Jane. Uh, and it was about a longtime villain, Craven the Hunter, uh, kidnaps Spider-Man, drugs him, buries him, and then takes his identity, dresses up as Spider-Man, and then goes and beats one of Spider-Man's other villains that Spider-Man has never beaten. I think it's the Vermin or, or, or something, if I remember correctly. Uh, and... Then Spider-Man wakes up after being unconscious for two weeks uh, to realize that Craven has now taken his identity as doing this thing. And all of the drama from the story came from the fact of he's just – he's a newlywed. His wife, you know, what's happened to her? Mm-hmm. I've been gone. Um, all of the emotions and angst around like wanting to protect his family and um, her being scared by the Spider-Man character that's out there but is not her husband and what's happened to my husband. Like huge amounts of drama, an amazing heart-wrenching story. And then at the end of it, uh, once Peter Parker comes back and confronts Craven, he kills himself because his whole thing was beating Spider-Man. And by taking his identity mm-hmm. and beating this villain, he's now become better than Spider-Man. So he doesn't need to fight him anymore. He doesn't need he, – he's pretty much just done with his life and he kills himself. And that, that's actually been another meaningful death that I think has carried on in comics. They've never bought Craven back but the drama of that story came from the, his relationship with his wife yeah. and it was the one that was right after the marriage and I think when writers today talk about um, married Peter Parker is not as interesting as teenage high school Peter Parker first like you pointed out they have ultimate Spider-Man they could tell those stories too um, and then the other thing is they're just lousy writers yeah. yeah, and and maybe their their feeling is that their readers would rather have Peter have a bunch of oh he's bunch he's juggling a bunch of girlfriends, which is I would argue co- counter to the whole idea of that character is he's not he was never successful with he was women, never, right? Well, you know, at least Although, it, broadly, what, yeah. like and, and now an Ultimate Spider Man, he's done okay. And the reboot and the rebooting of uh, of uh, of Spider Man or the the retroactive de- deal with the devil thing. Um, they've turned him into like, oh, he's got all these girls who are interested in him and what's it going to do? And it's it's like, what? Who are that? you? What have you I guess, done with Spider-Man? I guess that was right. their idea of yeah. a, a more in, kind well, of a romantic if, subplot that people – that would appeal to people. I wonder if, if part of that – it's very, very easy to script beginnings of relationships. It's very, very easy to script endings of right. relationships. And a lot of these endings come about for profoundly stupid reasons. And what I wonder is 
if part of this is a subconscious attempt to mimic the experiences that a high school audience or even a college audience is having as they embark on their romantic life. Because there's so much drama and sturm und drang when you start dating in in, in high school. Every Do they like me? Do they not like me? What if their friends don't like me? So on and so forth. And and by the time you're in your mid-20s, like you have learned to filter that out. Does it suggest but an arrested development either does. on a part on the, of the creators or their assumption about the Or their the assumption audience? about the readers because I would argue that if you do it well, you could show the drama that's inherent in having a 20-plus year relationship and trying to mediate your investment in that relationship and those people against the demands that outside life has for you. So Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends did a long-running and now-dead series called Spider-Girl, which was about mm-hmm. um, Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson's daughter who had spider powers and – it's it's enjoyable for a lot of different reasons. And as somebody who um, has a daughter that, that I, I loved having the strong female superhero character and she's she's going through exactly what the classic Spider-Man stories were, mm-hmm. except it's a woman instead of a man or a girl instead of a boy. Mm-hmm. But one of the interesting things about that book is that it depicts a decades-long marriage between Peter and Mary Jane and he's retired from being Spider-Man because one of his enemies like he lost a leg in a battle and so he's got a prosthetic leg and that Reed Richards built for him and he you know but it's and they've got and and they've got a Mary Jane is having a second a second kid and 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 May Parker the daughter is struggling with her powers and it's there's lots of great drama there too and it shows me that that you know this should be no surprise that that you know life doesn't end when you get married. It yeah. gets it's it different and it's more complicated. Well, one of one of my favorite not, yeah. one of my favorite miniseries is, is a Kurt Busiek, Stuart Immerman series on um, a kid named Clark Kent who basically becomes Superman. And, oh, that kid. Well, it's I no, it's a, it's an ordinary kid, and I can't remember the title of it. Um, up in the air, maybe. Um, it's it's killing me because I can see the covers and the art is beautiful, and basically the four many the the four books is it, it birthright? No. Okay. No, but but the the whole arc of the series is first he, the first book he's mediating his powers. The second book he's meeting Lois Lane for the first time. Actually, her name is Lois Lois Chaudhary because she's um. So is it secret identity? Yes, I believe it is. Yeah, Superman secret identity. Yeah, and it's fantastic because basically the whole arc is. Him trying to balance having superpowers and and doing good in the world against the fact that he very much loves his wife Lois and he loves his twin girls, and the last book is it, it basically is is the fruits of this this thirty odd year marriage he has and the discovery that his girls end up having superpowers as well, and how he mediates the worry he has for having superpowered children and and his wife at some point is like well, well now you know what I've been feeling for the last however many years and it's just this beautiful little panel because it's it it packs so much history and and emotion into one tiny exchange. And it's one of the most positive depictions of the premise that you can be a superhero and still have a healthy, robust, functional, romantic life. Well, thank God it was an Elseworlds tale then if it yeah. actually <laughs> As we used to call it, an imaginary story, unlike yes. those real stories yes. that also exist. So so Lois and Clark are one of those bedrock relationships that, that don't – I mean they do come and go occasionally, but they're mostly there. I believe they've gotten married several times. <laughs> That's on, right. On well, series. yes. They're like Phyllis Diller in that right. way. Um, uh, Reed Richards, uh, Reed Richards and Sue thing. Storm Richards are – Another right. example well, of a, and a real actually bedrock a, relationship. A marriage that's aside kept from, going. Aside from that time when she ran off with her brother and he 
got an army of superpowered criminals to hunt them down. Well, you know, with with civil, a few exceptions, they've uh-huh. essentially been. So they've had some spats, yeah. right? right. They've, they've separated. Every couple has their differences, right. but they've also had. I mean, but, that's and they, a great and they didn't start married. Yeah. They started as right. boyfriend yeah. and girlfriend, and then they got married. Well, and they started as and her they, as like a teenage kids. girl, and him as like a forty-year-old guy. Yeah. So he, a little weird. He ages the other direction. But apparently. it was the '60s, and they have so. kids, yeah. right? Which is they, they have they, two children. Yeah. Now for for decades, as of reading time, there was Franklin and now Valerie. Yeah. And they had the in a great. Um, during a John Burns run, mm-hmm. which is considered, I think, the second greatest run after yeah. Stanley and Kirby, yeah, great. Uh, they had a miscarriage. That she was yeah. pregnant for many, many, many issues. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long uh, exactly it was. And she went into labor, and Reed had to be fighting Dr. Octopus during the whole Of course, as you do. Thing. As you do. And uh, <laughs> during it all, she's Nobody going Nobody said this wasn't going to be complicated. So she had, right. so she had a she's, well, yeah, she's in the hospital. Uh, dealing with this as he's trying to get back to his wife yeah. and uh, by the time he does he, she's already miscarried or Delivered. had a stillbirth yeah. um, and it's just a, a really really touching scene and uh, again drama that you can have with mature relationships yeah. and, and other things and that's uh, the fact they have two kids yeah. um, and who've only occasionally uh, I was just reading the Mark Wade Fantastic Four mm-hmm. run from the uh, early 2000s uh, and in that, Franklin was literally uh, sent to hell. Yeah, that's right. Uh, to be tortured for a little while, oh. and that caused some like, concern of reading. Some kids get time out. He can talk to right. he can talk to Ilyana Rasputin about yeah. that, and they can they well, can you know, bond about right. their this time in hell. This is actually why why I stopped why I stopped reading X Factor because I do like Peter David as a writer, mm-hmm. and I was a big fan of the I was a big fan of the series because I, I the, the I, latest. X Factor? No, it was the I think the first iteration where okay. Maddox is running the detective agency, as it were. No, that's the recent one. Okay, is yeah. It, yep. All right, that's the one we're talking about. Then it's the one that basically came and popped into existence in the last five years or so. And <clears throat> one of the plots has him getting really drunk in his clones, betting all of the women on the team. And one of them, um, Banshee's daughter, whose name is eluding me at the Siren. moment. Siren. Thank you. She gets pregnant, and um, so she and Maddox become a couple carries the baby to term and the first time he holds the baby it turns out that she was carrying a clone she was impregnated by a clone so according to the laws of the marvel universe the baby is but a clone and so he reabsorbs the baby yeah gross yeah ew and that was actually the moment where i put down the book and said i'm done i'm out you know cuz well this because is... all they did after that was oh she's angry and oh there's there's drama and oh, tension and so on and so forth you and absorb I th- my baby uh, yeah and i thought you know you could talk about the, the, whether or not a couple stays together through this kind of wrenching loss, and instead it's all you drunken jerk, you used a clone to impregnate me, which Clones is just and t- telepaths. Yeah, stay, stay away. Really make it hard to have a relationship. Right. Yeah. This the, is what we're learning. The other thing I'm also learning is besides divorce, you could possibly make a deal with the devil. Yeah. Yes. And get out of this if the marriage isn't working out or for it's, any of us. It's, it's sort of like Satan's annulment. <laughs> <laughs> I, that could have been the title of the series. Why yeah. that, was that would have been better. That would have been better. It would have been than one yeah. more day. So, and no, and and, I've and no never more. Understood the yeah. point to Aunt May? Really? You know, she's an old. Well, we we've she's, had that conversation. Yes, yeah. I think, which is like you know, <laughs> she's you know, died a may, few times. Maybe she should stay. She dead could be reunited with lady, Ben but, in the afterlife. In, yes. who, who is so, he to keep her away from him? One of the series I want to bring up, which in my mind has the best relationship I've read in mm-hmm. comics, is uh, Sandman Mystery Theater. By Matt Wagner and Stephen, uh, he co-writes it, and I can't mm-hmm. think of his co-writer's name, uh, and drawn by Guy Davis largely, mm-hmm. although there's a couple other artists who have helped. But that series set in the 1930s, New York, uh, the run-up to World War II, mm-hmm. um, 
Wesley Dodds has come back from China and he does this um, very Pulp Fiction character, Sandman, and he falls in love with uh, Diane, whose last name is going to escape me, um, Belmont, who is the police commissioner's daughter. And uh, Matt Wagner and Stephen Siegel. Siegel. See, I kept wanting to go Seagal. Thank you, which, Internet. Yeah. Uh, so the entire uh, underlining thing of the story of the whole run of the series is their relationship and how it starts off um, in a kind of dating way and then gradually they get closer and closer. And she's like one of the driving forces in the comic. You know, it's the uh, – she is much – you know – 1930s appropriate, but starting to branch out into that more modern woman and wanting to have a job, mm-hmm. not being satisfied with the status quo, not being satisfied with where women's positions was back then, and kind of finding um, a bond with Wesley. And then eventually he lets her in onto her secret. And then at night, she starts driving him around and being his sort of partner. Mm-hmm. But it really, in the best sense of the word like when marriages really work and I don't I haven't finished the series yet because they've only released the eighth trade paperback and I think there should be two more and for some reason they like to leave a couple of years between releasing these paperbacks um, but uh, their relationship is so amazing um, and it's done in stark contrast to a lot of the other stories happen to be around largely around like you know, maniacs taking and skinning women and torturing them in some really, really brutal stuff. Mm. Um, so it even creates a, a stronger contrast. But it, it's an amazing, realistic partnership between these two characters who fall in in love. Yeah. And uh, he he ends up not being able to do what he does without her. Uh, and it's not done in, in, in any kind of like pandering that's a really right. nice change from the usual. I can either have my my cape life or my love life, but I can't have both. That seems right. to be a constant source of dramatic tension. See, also bad writing, right? And, and they, this is completely different. And they struggle with it a little, mm-hmm. but it's more on she's trying to help him, and he's uh, well, they're because they're yeah. a team. Because yeah. that's really what a relationship, a relationship is, is. right? Yeah. Right, and it's it's yeah, amazing. I think this is why the one superhero relationship that actually well. Not just one. Let me let me backtrack. When Wildstorm did the um, Stormwatch team, and they did the Authority, one of the things they did on Stormwatch is they they made a rule that if you couple if you if you pair up with a teammate, you're off the team. And their premise was if you if you we we can't count on you being distracted by your feelings for your partner if you're in the middle of a battle. So if this is important to you, leave. And, Seems and, logical. Yeah, and several people did. And then with the Authority, they have of course the Midnighter and Apollo, who are basically their Batman. Superman analog, and they are, of course, a committed long-term couple who, who's raising Jenny Quantum. And theirs was just this very matter-of-fact, yes, we're here, we're queer, we're 300 pounds, and... Um, we'll give you a pass. Yeah, well, it's, well, it's, <laughs> okay, it's well, also a total... Like. But it's also a right. totally functional relationship. There's no yeah. drama, there's no back and forth. Um, nobody gives them static about it. And I think that, and... They'd get beat up. If they yeah, exactly. I'd say who that. would? Midnighter and Apollo are pretty tough. Yeah. yeah. But between that and the other the other one I wanted to call out in terms of capes um, is I really like the way Invincible has been handling it. I was going to – I have Invincible written down with, love, with Adam Eve. Well, not just that. I was thinking in the very beginning when um, 
Invincible's mom is like, so I've been married to an alien invader oh, yeah. for how long now? Oh, with- and she, it, it takes her a while to recover from that. And it's a really realistic thing where she, she was – the comic never lets you forget that she was betrayed yeah. down to her core. And even though they're, they're back together now after much of that, that, w- yeah. that was not an easy thing. No. And he had to change because mm-hmm. he betrayed her in a very different way than a normal betrayal would happen yes. in that he was a secret plant from a evil to, empire to, that was over the planet. The, the planet. Yes. Yeah. And then she raises his half-insect um, son by another larval queen. Yeah. But it's... it's Fast-growing. Awkward. It, well, no, but, as the, it is, but, yes, but again, this, is, this does a great job of fleshing out her character because it points out that she's like, well, this, this child obviously needs a mother and... I will Aww. do it. You, well, it's and it's 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 a great moment. But Invincible is one of those where about it it doesn't take that false dichotomy of cape or relationship. Right. Well, in, what in, it does instead is say there's ways to do both because you know the whole point of being a superhero is not that you're this bifurcated person. The whole point is that it's just part of who you are. Well, and and Mark and Eve in mm-hmm. that comic are yeah. um, you know not together when we first meet them. He's got a regular girlfriend, but it's very clear that Eve and Mark are going to be together. And Eve is dating someone else as well. Yeah, in and, the superhero. And community. it's a nice it's a nice progression. But once they're together, they also she's sort of like becomes his business manager a mm-hmm. little bit because he's very busy, but she's also got powers. So they're sort of like they're two superpowers together. They can like get paid to catch escaped convicts and yeah. clean up messes and things like that. So they got a little business going. And then he gets sent because it's a very cosmic oriented series. He gets sent off world for a period of time and she's pregnant and he doesn't know. And that leads to a whole interesting subplot where she's pregnant and does she lose the baby or does she have an abortion? I, I don't remember. I have not but, read that far. But she does not. Sorry. I have spoilers. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Well, okay. Close. I'm reading it trade by trade. I don't it's, read it. It's really good. It, well, the point is now that I've ruined it, um, she doesn't have the baby, um, but uh, she, you know, she goes through this emotional process and she gains she gains a lot of weight, and the weight's not coming off. She her body has changed, yeah. and when Mark comes back, there's this initial thought of like, oh wow, you know, so... you'll, you'll pull yourself together, right? And it's like, <laughs> no, this is me. This is who I am. And uh, that's been really great because yeah. they're still together. There are, there are, you know, always strains in the relationship. You know, dino, dino, giant dinosaur supervillains can have their effects mm-hmm. like clones and telepaths. But I like the fact that, that Kirkman in Invincible mm-hmm. is trying to have them have these kind of travails. But they're really – they're really together. They're they're a great match, and they're not married yeah. or anything yet. But they're they're a really great match who has reasons to to stick together. And these things that happen, clones and telepaths and dinosaurs, don't necessarily get in the way of that, mm-hmm. which is nice to see. So a lot the, of what in we, the superhero genre, a lot of what we've been talking about is uh, the main protagonist being a male and having a female mm-hmm. uh, relationship. Or, yeah. Uh, ex- except for Midnighter and Apollo. Uh, but has right. there been, like, female lead books or characters who have also had relationships? I was trying to think of Wonder Woman. Well, there aren't that many female lead books. Period. It's one of the, right. one of the challenges. Anyway. Um, I'm rifling through the Vertigo back catalog, and the reason I say Vertigo is it's the one most likely to aim at women. Um, right. In terms of readership. But... I can't recall any. Yeah. No, no. I was thinking there was, a, there was a miniseries called The Witching, which was about three women who were witches, obviously. Supergirl never had any love interests. Uh, you know, Batgirl? I guess you could argue that The Runaways is sort of a female-led book in the sense that it's an ensemble, and it's an ensemble with a really healthy gender mix. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, because it's a book about teenagers, 
And the whole point is they are teenagers with exceptionally complex lives. You're not really going to find any good examples of relationships well, there right. at all. I can pull out Kitty Pride, who, as every every adolescent boy in the '80s, you know, loved Kitty Pride, and she had every her, adolescent girl in the '80s wanted to be her. Well, too. this is the yeah. best Kitty Pride thing is pretty for awesome. Kitty Pride, right? So, yeah. so, so she had relationships, but Peter I always include, oh my god, I hate, oh god, right. I hated him so Dude, much. Dude, that was like my one true pair through the '80s. I, oh my god, I hated him so much because, of course, but they you know, were like, jealousy. I, they were so essentially romantic. a non-couple. Yes, yeah. right, right. But this is this is one of those examples where, at least as I viewed and it, and I think most pe- most people did, that uh, they were thinking of it from Kitty's perspective. I, mm-hmm. I never thought that that Kitty's relationships were her being paired with people. It was mm-hmm. who's going to be paired with her, and of course, what I think you referenced earlier. Um, uh, of course, Peter Parker gets Kitty Pride in Ultimate, Ultimate Spider-Man, right. which is hilarious. And it's like, why didn't nobody think of it? And it was because their ages were too yeah. different in the regular Marvel universe. But that's somebody – and Peter and, and, and Kitty specifically where they had this sort of – she's young. But I she, love but she's, that relationship. She's a crush on Ultimate him and Spider-Man. he's older and he's trying to hold her at arm's length. But, she, you know, in the but end – But there's something there. Yeah. Like they would throw you just – and again, I say this as somebody who read this during the 80s – you know, you go, as I as I traveled the arc from yeah. from elementary school through high school, they would throw you just enough to be like, "Oh, there's hope!" As soon as she gets older, oh my right. gosh, one of these days he's going to notice. Then her. she'd get and, kidnapped right. by Caliban, and yeah. she'd be in the sewers for a while, and then they bring her back. And, and all, then yeah. she'd marry, and then she'd run into Pete Wisdom, and and you know there was later on, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it was just. Oh my gosh, that was one of the great unconsummated, or I should say, one of the great non-relationship until relationships. Joss Whedon consummated it. Oh boy, yeah, I, I, don't, think, I don't, I don't acknowledge I think, that. I, I don't talk about that's an alternate universe as far as I'm concerned. I think Kitty Pride was much better written by Bendis in Ultimate. Oh, yeah. Than she ever was. Well, that was a that was a masterstroke. Ultimate yeah. Spider-Man, the first, the, you know, the first edition of Ultimate Spider-Man with Peter Parker and Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy and Kitty Pride. Yes, you're right. That's three pretty. He's got a pretty good batting average there if he's got those three women interested in him. But all those relationships were different. Yeah, and they were all really good. Like the Mary Jane Peter relationship in Ultimate Spider-Man is way more believable and understandable with detail about who these people are and how yeah. they work together and why they. Then the Marvel but, universe. And, and, although he was always was. In, in the Bendis things, he was always treated more as a hapless victim of the relationships. I mean, they were completely w- women-driven, women-dominated. Relationships, and I think that actually goes back to one which of the is like the, high school. Well, and I, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he's got I all these powers, but he's the, totally the, clueless about. Yeah. Well, that goes back to one of the ethos in, in all these tights and flights books, though, which is which is that. Um, Oh, these guys are great at beating the crap out of each other on top of the Empire State Building. But yeah. oh, they're helpless when Pepper pops, dance, taps her dainty little foot, or well, whatever. Or and when it's, it's when, such when a... human emotions come into play, and when yeah. they do, they don't have the power to just hey, do we, whatever we, they want. And not then everyone is to... as great in all aspects of their life. You know, just because mm-hmm. you're good at your job doesn't mean you're yeah. good. Yeah, at home. well, that's that's yeah. Not everyone is that well rounded. Yeah. That was and and so I always liked that about the about that. But the, it was a stroke of genius to put Kitty Pride oh in Peter God. Parker's high school. Well, to yeah. put Kitty Pride and um, and Bobby Drake and mm-hmm. uh, and Johnny Storm. Uh, Johnny oh, Storm. Bobby that was Drake great. in the Ultimate in superhero oh, high was, school. Oh, yeah. it was great. I'm sorry that that story didn't go on longer. I would. I would I if they because that to come was out brilliant. with that again. I would totally. That was brilliant. Oh, yeah. I, I I recently divested all of my Ultimate Spider-Man trades and now I'm kind of wishing I had I would love to go back. I would actually... You can borrow my hardcovers. Marvel, if you're listening, can you please do an untold 
yeah. an untold tales series high of the confident. Parker superhero home. high school. Yeah, high Queen's school confident. superhero high school. I can't remember the name of the title that came out a few years ago. I think it was a I think it was a Wildstorm title. I know it starts with an I, but it was basically about a superhero high school. Um, and what I remember is they tried to do what basically amounted to hypertext on the page where you'd have the comics and then you'd have all of these little factoidy blurbs that were call-outs and imposed. It's going to drive me crazy because I can I can see the futuristic font they used on the covers. It was like a 13-issue um, series, I want to say back circa 2004, 2005, where they basically did a superhero high school and the idea was it would be even worse than regular high school. Well, because, sure. Well, because in addition to the usual petty jealousies and so on and so forth, you had people who would not hesitate to nuke each other. Because they had the power to do so, or people who would turn each other into bats or, or what have you. Right. And teenagers show lousy restraint. Yeah. And that was basically the premise was these people did terrible things to each other because they had poor impulse control. Mm. So. so if you had to pick one um, favorite comic book relationship from yeah. your, your comic book reading, what would it be? What would be the one that you would pick? As, as like we already favorite? talked about it. It's the the uh, Diane Belmont, Wesley Dodds, Sandman Mystery Theater. I would read that over and over for the relationship. All right. Lisa? See, now I want to read that too. Um, that's good. That's part of why we're here. I kind of want to divide it into tights versus non-tights. Sure, that's fine. one of the things is I've noticed we focus a lot on superheroes. We sure. haven't really talked about the non-superheroes. Well, a lot of the non-superhero genre is just like literature in that it's got mm-hmm. a lot of realism and more of a – I was going to mention The Walking Dead, which is not super realistic in the zombies, but there's Kirkman, but there's and there's a marriage and there's some issues and some of them are, mm-hmm. but there it's was but, a marriage, but it, right, yes, but it's a story, it's right? Like a bullet to the but back it's of a, head. but it's a yeah. story, and 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 it mm-hmm. doesn't seem. I mean, I, the relationships in non superhero comics seem more or less, I would think, um, about as well handled as your average relationship in other works, which is some of them yeah. are good and some, some of them are not. bad. Yeah, because I was going to say, for, I, I love the book Scalped, for example, but it drives me nuts what they do with the relationships in that, which is to say horrible, horrible, dramatic, <laughs> drawn-out things. Um, I have a soft spot for the Dibneys, Ralph and Sue Dibney, because they were— And that ended poorly. Well, yes and no. <laughs> yes and no, because granted her brutal rape and murder— <laughs> Was 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 a challenge. Not funny. Was no. right. Not funny. No, we're all horrible. We're all laughing. We oh. are terrible, terrible. We're, we're people. laughing at how horrible that. Like, well, it was how, and it was out of left field. But right. Because they, they, they take this character. She and she and Ralph. Sue and Ralph had this. It was almost like Nick and Nora Charles, where they were basically these globe trotting, wise cracking, mystery solving people. And oh yes, he happens to be elastic man, and. So you had this solid functional marriage, and I realized the reason they decided to do these terrible things to Sue Dibney was it was supposed to shock you to your core that this beloved and stable member of the DC universe was so horribly violated. However, um, first of all, people were really taken aback that it was Sue Dibney and not in the, ooh, I must read more type of way, but rather than, oh, could you, you monsters. However, it ends with Ralph dying too, and they're reunited, and now they're solving crimes in the afterlife. And so I like that they got back together. I think that's sweet. Um, Afterlife crimes. Right. They were the, they're the ghost detectives. Yeah, now. they're the ghost detectives nice. now. And I like that they're back together and, and back to being their bantery old self. Um, I wanted to complain about the relationships on Fables, but we've I think we've passed that already. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you ever – if you wanted to read – Wait, ha- are you saying fairy tale relationships don't go well? <laughs> Shocker. Um, 
They don't live happily ever after? No, they, they're actually That's a drama that, killer. Well, it no, is. I actually have a lot of complaints about the Snow White-Bigby relationship because that one is going entirely too well, considering the tremendous amounts of baggage they bring to the relationship and the fact that he got her pregnant when she was out of her mind with hallucinations or something. Um, well, wasn't he out of his mind? She was the oh. one who – no, because I believe they I, they may have both been. I be- yeah. Well, I, but it was defense, like a long, He long is a ago. wolf. Yeah, and the, and the North Wind <laughs> also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What can you do? But um, clones, telepaths, and I mean, if you uh, werewolves, but, but if you really, if you're really craving an up and down type of drama with the with the romance and the riding off into the sunset, I know you don't care for the book, but Preacher is actually a great romantic story. Uh, you know, there's a definite arc. Really? To the rela- it is. It is. They work out their differences. You know, every couple has them. They work out their communications issues, and they end up having each other's back, and they ride off into the sunset on a horse, literally. So. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, it's bonus points for that. It's a surprisingly sweet story underneath the gratuitous, you know, men who have sex with sausages and angry God and wow. and backwoods Nazis and and all of that. So of course, my favorite um, comic book relationship is obviously Commander Rand and Marionette and the Micronauts. No, no, <laughs> it took us forty no. minutes to get there. There's not like a lot, the... not a lot of love in the micro universe. Not yet. That's anyway. not true. That's not true. A Croyer, <laughs> a Croyer, and his girlfriend who can't, who has, is having his baby but can't be with him because he's banished from his people for betraying them, even though he saves them. Mm-hmm. Bug and his oh, there's lots of romance in the Do microverse. You... It's just too small to see. Bug is back. <laughs> In the Marvel Universe? Bug is back in the Marvel Universe because they own the rights to Bug. They just don't own it to most of the other characters. So That will make things awkward. He's like, I would tell you more about my friends, but well, no, I'm not they, allowed they, to. They, they, they do tell them, but they're in a in obscure and circumscribed ways. No, not I trademark Kit, term. Kitty, yeah, Kitty Pride is probably the, the, the touchstone for me, even though I always hated Colossus. I always thought that that was the that oh, was the so that was romantic. the interpersonal kind of relationship that I that I definitely followed when I was like a kid. He's and, big and hard and Yes, that's why I hate him so much. He was protective. He watched out for her in battle, and and he he thought she was special. And oh my gosh, yes, he did. Oh, I hated him so much. (laughs) Although, 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 the Ultimate Spider-Man, I think, in terms of modern relationships, I I, Bendis. One of the advantages of having that decompression and all that dialogue Mm -hmm. is that he actually got to build up some interesting interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. in uh, with between, especially Peter and Mary Jane. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I would too. I like Brian Michael Bendis as a writer. Lot. Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to I was going to take Although the last I... few minutes to talk about um, what are you reading? And I was going to bring up the new Ultimate Spider-Man, which as much as I railed against what they did to Peter Parker in the Death of Spider-Man arc, the obviously and painfully named Death of Spider-Man arc, where in which they, big surprise, killed kill Spider-Man. <gasps> In the new, sorry, Lisa, I'm spoiling everything today. In the new Amazing Spider or Ultimate Spider-Man series, um, it's great because it's all the good things about Bendis. Except now the kid is y- even younger. He's got some different family dynamics, but he too was bitten by a uh, genetically altered Norman Osborn Corporation spider, and his, his powers are slightly different. And he interacts with the Ultimates and and with Gwen Stacy at one point, and basically gets read the riot act about if you're going to be Spider-Man, you got to understand that you're in his shadow and you got to, you got to, you know, you got to follow his example and all that. And it's actually, don't dishonor the suit. It's amazing how, I, again, I don't like how they ended it. Cause I felt like it was, we're done with this. Let's just, let's just wrap this up. Mm-hmm. But the new series is 
great for all the reasons the old series was great, which is yeah. really it's Bendis and dealing with like kids trying to struggle with their their relationship to the world, which is great material. And so the Miles Morales, the new Spider-Man, is um, it's a he's a, turning out to be a pretty good character. And I think it was genius turning Peter Parker into Uncle Ben. Yeah. Oh no, that's exactly that was, it. He's got to yeah. live up because Peter Parker's whole watchword mm-hmm. was with great power comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. And now now Miles has to live up to Peter's um, example. It's amazing. So yeah, they did a good job. There's there, and there's a chilling that what really got me on their side is there's a chilling uh, couple of issues where he has to interact with Spider uh, Ultimate Spider Woman, who is a, a female clone of Peter Parker. So she has all the memories of Peter Parker up to about you know two years before. Right. And which for people on the uh, listening who haven't read those Ultimate Spider Man things, uh, the Jessica. Drew, Drew yeah. um, mm-hmm. who in, in the Ultimate Universe is, as you said, a, a female Peter Parker. Yeah. That brings up so many interesting story things, particularly when she's kissing Johnny Storm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. No, and, the, and, 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 Weirdness. and Ben just deals with it. Yeah. He's like, so do you like... Really well done. Do you like boys now? And she's like, I don't, uh, maybe, but I also remember loving Mary Jane, so I don't really know. It's fa- fascinating. Yeah. But she has to interact with Miles, and it's really weird for both of them because Peter is dead. And he's now sort of Spider-Man and she's mad about that but because she is sort of Peter, mm-hmm. which means he she can also kind of be the representative of him to the new guy. It's it's great, great stuff. Dynamic. So, yeah. so Brian Bendis, you know, I, I, yeah, he does really good work, I got to say. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, every, f- every time he loses me, he gets me back. Right. Oh, on the flip side, though, Moon Knight – the new series by Bendis. So I've read the first it, seven, eight issues see, You said now. this when there were a couple issues. I, you said it was really I, bad. I've been trying. You know, <laughs> I'm really trying because uh, I like the Moon Knight character. And maybe I'm missing something. I don't – it's not resonating. I don't get it. There's nothing yeah. interesting mm-hmm. there. Moon Knight always seemed like a better idea than – Than an execution. Than yeah. an execution. Yeah. Because yeah. I read the whole mm-hmm. Doug Bench and Bill Sinkovitz run and but it was it has none of interesting. That heart but that... We should do a Bill Sinkovitz podcast. That oh, would yeah. be cool. If you don't mind my derailing for a minute. No, there. that's a good idea. Because I went back and read my uh, New Mutants New run. New Mutants. Oh. Well, I went back and revisited my New Mutants run recently and uh, Bill Sinkovitz does a huge arc. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading it as a 14-year-old and just struggling to, to, to understand the art. <laughs> what am I seeing here? Exactly. No. And it was it, pretty radical. It was well, like it Warlock was. was like weird stretch. Warlock it was basically awesome. this abstract ink blot. Black With a pair of bulging blot. eyes. Yeah. And, um, Crazy. Again, as a 14-year-old, I can remember really <laughs> struggling to try to figure out the art and try to make sense of it. And going back now um, and looking at it, it's really striking to see how he's influenced – a lot of, of visual conventions in in the intervening years. So um, you know, we should we should definitely talk about how he's shaped storytelling, or if he shaped yeah. it, and if it was for the better or not. That's a great idea. Anyway, well, sorry, didn't mean to. And we're also going we're, we're to revisit Watchmen now that the, we've they've oh, announced that they're yes. Watchmen. That's another podcast. But we, now that they've announced that there are Watchmen prequels coming out, there's gonna, there's there's that there is too much. The, the for first now. time I heard that, I thought of that we Watchmen will. Saturday morning cartoon. Yes, Watchmen babies. <laughs> um, uh, the other, I wanted to mention a few of the other things I'm reading, and then and then you guys should say if there are things that you mm-hmm. are reading or rereading. Um, I just read the first issue of Winter Soldier, which is Ed, uh, Brubaker doing a, a an ongoing series about Bucky, who is the Winter Soldier, and he's you know from the pages of Captain America, and I feel like I'll, I'll I'm going to follow Brubaker 
because I, I love what he did with that character and that whole story arc where he has to be deprogrammed from being a Soviet assassin and then he, he has to be Captain America when Captain America is dead and now he is trying to uh, – he sort of like faked his own death and he and the Black Widow are doing secret missions and Brubaker is such a good writer and I, and I love what he's done with Captain America oh, yeah. that it's like I'm on the train for Winter Soldier. That's that's such a great new char- new Marvel character. Not new but yet new mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm, I like the first issue of that. So I'm reading that. Um, Greg Pak is doing Astonishing X-Men now and – I've la- I've liked the first two issues that he's done because it's essentially re- – I don't know if he's going to stick with this, but it's essentially remaking Exiles, which I liked, which was the alternate universe Exiles. alternate universe X-Men where they just plunk, pluck characters from various from alternate, different alternate parallel universes. universes. Yeah. Right. It was sort of, Blink, it was sort of like sliders, that old TV show. Right, oh, yeah. exactly. But with the X-Men. But with the and X-Men. Or, or very, so it would be like a sp- oh, version of Spider-Man 2099. Kong, I bet you he'd be interested. There's lots of, lots of this crazy like mix and match. Well, well, astonishing what Pac is doing is um, he has uh, like uh, Storm, I think, t- comes to Cyclops and says, I need your help. And it, but she's got her mohawk instead of her current hair, hairdo, uh. and he goes with her, and it turns out that that's not his storm. She's she's basically plucked him because they keep stealing X Men from other universes in order to to this horrible like dystopian universe where they're using them as power sources, and and there's like an alternate Wolverine there, who, and they break out of the jail, and it's 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 cool because it. Um, I really loved Exiles. I thought that was a cr- crazy idea to show – to make all these various alternate characters team up and uh, that's what Greg Pak is doing with Astonishing. So I'm, I'm kind of on board for that. Uh, I don't know whether that's going to be the premise of the title at all or whether it's just a story arc but I'm liking it. So that's what you I'm – You talked me into it. That's what I'm reading now and I read a book uh, called Fenman which is a comic book biography of the physicist Richard Fenman. Mm-hmm. Who wrote it and uh, drew it? Uh, Jim Ottaviani and Leland Myrick are oh, the. Oh, that's on my Amazon list. Are the uh, are the writer and artist uh, Feynman, I guess Richard mm-hmm. Feynman, the the who worked on the Manhattan Project and famously led the Challenger Investigation Board after the Space Shuttle Challenger incident, mm-hmm. um, and it was pretty cool. It was my wife got it at the library and brought it home for me. And um, biography as comic book, and it uses his words from his lectures and his writing to form. Uh, the story of his life in comic form, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. So that's another – that's what I'm reading. Jason, what are you reading? Ha. Uh, so uh, right now I'm reading a lot of, of the new Kirby-verse titles that uh, Dynamite is publishing. So these are Jack Kirby's later creations. Um, the ones that he kept – Yeah, Silver Star, Captain of. Victory, um, Bombast. There's there's a whole series of them. They were published by Tops in the late 90s or the early 90s. Uh, he died in the mid 90s, uh, and then things like the um, the Galaxy Hunters or uh, Marvel had published a series just recently uh, uh, on these Kirby later Kirby creations. So Dynamite has them all right now, and they've put them. Uh, together in one universe. It's written by Mark Wade. So this no, really, no. Busey was Mark. Yeah, Busey. Way, yeah, yeah, Wade didn't I'm write so that. I'm so sorry, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. a, mm. a really good writer. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the thing about a lot of Kirby creations is they're fairly insane and out there and just <laughs> bombastic and, and so much energy. And you take uh, all of them and put them into one book. Uh, 
And it's I can't been, even. It's like you feel like every issue they're introducing another 36 characters and concepts and like ancient Mayan gods and space. <laughs> well, that's people. If you're going to go other Kirby, hidden cities, go all the way. <laughs> then there's like a couple of human characters who are in the midst of all of this and trying to puzzle it out. And you're just like, whoa, where are they going to go next? And it's just high energy. Um, Alex Ross is doing the the covers and some of the layouts, wow. mm-hmm. uh, and Mark Wade is writing it. So it's high quality stuff. Just a million insane ideas. Uh, so it's just basically this whole crazy. untapped Kirby sandbox of and trying to crazy character designs, and they're trying to actually make it. I hope coherent. It doesn't seem coherent right now, but they're only like three <laughs> or four issues in. And everyone I get, there's another 36 characters and concepts kind of introduced. And I'm like, whoa, where's wow, this all going? Start taking notes. Yeah. It uh, may end up being a huge disaster, but if it is, it's going to be a brilliant, beautiful mess of a disaster. Cool. That's cool. Lisa, what are you reading? I've been doing a lot of catch-up because this is actually the downside to switching to trade format and away from the flimsies. Yes. Is I apologize again for spoiling Invincible. No, it's okay. Is um. It takes so long between compilations sometimes that in order to really appreciate what's in the new one, I usually have to go back one or two books just right. to get up a good head of steam. Yeah, the iPad has somehow put me on the cutting edge. I don't know how that happened. When I get my iPad, I'm probably back to single issues. Oh, yeah. It's the storage thing that's the issue. For, that's that's yeah. the, the bugbear for me. Anyway, um, I recently caught up on Scalped, which is the uh, prime noir that's taking place in an Indian Jason Aaron, right? Yes, whom I love. I think his writing is great. Um my only complaint is how he's handling the main romantic relationship because, well, he's not. But um, otherwise, the the tension between tribal culture and obligation versus the surrounding and encroaching um, Anglo culture and uh, the question of where do your loyalties lie and whose laws are you ultimately bound to follow. He's done a great job of exploring those tensions and seeing, you know, it's a huge gap and seeing how people fall in that gap and how they manage to climb out of it. It's made for a really good series so far. I think they're up to six or seven trades. Um, my brother, I sent him the first five with a note saying you have to read these, and so I don't have those to lend out anymore, but I've been following up. Um, I caught up on Fables, and I think I'm out um, after after the most recent. I'm still way back in Fables, so yeah. really it, it goes like, – and I'm, I love it. Yeah. But um, the future is bleak. It <sighs> – it sounds to me, as somebody who hasn't read more than a few issues, that there was a really logical kind of endpoint. Yes, there is. And um, then it keeps going. going. Well, oh. they, yeah, they, they vanquished the adversary, and it could have gotten very interesting after that because there's obviously this huge power gulf where a, de- where a despot used to a despot used to be, but it didn't. And you have all these fair- <laughs> and you have all these fairy tale people who are like, okay, I can go back to my land and take it over again, and you have people who now. Live, live in that land. It's the whole Palestine problem. Yeah, it basic. Well, yes, it basically is. And given that um, the writer used Israel as a metaphor for how people should solve war, oh yeah, huge fan of Israel. It comes out in his work. Where, where, where? Huh. Israel is, is wow. Yeah, yeah, huge fan of Israel. Bigby basically says we're gonna we're gonna act like the Israelis do, and this is how we're gonna win the war, and that's how they do because this is a fantasy. And <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, where it's gotten to now, it's there. There's all sorts of magical hoodoo, and and the witches are planning different coups. And now one main character has become the um, paladin of the Avatar of Hope, which just sounds like like the kind of BS you'd find in a really bad Gene Roddenberry sci-fi series. Yeah, um, ouch. Like I said, I'm out. I, I read the most recent. Uh, I read the most recent story arc, and I thought this is hogwash. Um, 
boom, you, yeah. done. You have other options. Yeah, no, there's a lot, good, there's well a lot of stuff out there. Um, I'm still reading on written, which is getting increasingly more complex. Oh, I got to catch up with that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. that. As well. Yeah, yeah I'm, as mentioned I'm, on previous podcasts, mm-hmm. I'm still yes. reading. I'm still reading unwritten. Un- unwritten. And uh, I've been scribbling down recommendations the whole time we've been talking. So I imagine the next time I come back, I'm going to be like, everything Jason Bryson was talking about, I have been reading. <laughs> so I've been reading Chew on your recommendation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, which has been kind of fun. I read the first issue because with all of the hype of Chew, yeah. I read the first issue and wasn't. It's not for the weak of stomach. Engaged. It's not for the weak of stomach. I'm just fascinated by how weird a premise it is, oh, yeah. and and the first one issue wasn't great, but I bought I bought the first trade. trade. I think it's yeah. a digital trade. My right? brother sent my brother you know, sends me money the by trades. buying five. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I think I'll I'll try the trade. My brother sends me the trades, and um, it's another one where I you kind of have to get used to the artwork because it's definitely a aesthetic departure from the from the typical tights and flights style, but it's a really fun and at the risk of making it sound like I'm 80 and people should get off my lawn, it feels really young compared to a lot of the stuff yeah. that's in the Marvel and the DC verse. It's not tr- – it's a super power story but told really non-traditionally. It actually in some it's ways it reminded story, me of basically. Top 10. Oh, I mm-hmm. love Top 10. Yeah. Where, it's a, where it's like police. Yeah. Yeah. Except that's a very traditional – intentionally yeah. traditional mm-hmm. story and chew is like similar in that it's sort of super law enforcement but really non-traditional which and I, it's which just I like. a terrible superpower to have it is just and then they say that yeah. you know eating things in order to tell what happened with the thing you ate is yeah. just it's awful but yes. it's hilarious so yeah because yeah. it's not like you're restricted just to food no no so. it's crazy yeah. it's crazy all right. So, so yeah, it's just and I did some rereading. Like I said, the New Mutants I recently went through and reread. I should do that sometime. I it's reread. On my list to do. I reread sixteen oh two, Neil Gaiman, which I like a lot. I never read that series. Oh, it's good. Is Stick it? with that. Don't read it's, the sequel. It's great. No, I read the sequel and it wasn't very good. You'll be good, sorry but, you read the sequel. But sixteen oh two is very good. Hmm. Very it good. rewards you for having a lot of Marvel in knowledge. It's like so Mar- it's, it's like Neil Gaiman's love letter <clears throat> to the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. put in this hilarious context of the sixteen hundreds. And it is it is very well done, and it's self contained. It's beautiful, and oh, I'm not going to spoil God, it. The but, art is wonderful, but but there are some plot twists in it that are fantastic, as well as some fake out plot twists that are very amusing. So I highly recommend it. It's it, it is a great. It's Neil Gaiman playing with those Marvel characters in a very constrained style. You read the you know read the hardcover, read the trade, and that's the story, and that's all you have. It's to It's really do. respectful of the history of the characters without being overly deferential. Yeah, nice. And yeah. Being fan, it's, it's, fan it's great. Boy. I'm going to go home and read that. That's yeah. it's a it's a good one. So I reread that the yeah. other the other night and had a had a blast with that. Oh yeah. All right. I think we've done enough damage for one comic book club, but we will be back. We are going to um, do an episode of the Incomparable pretty soon about Watchmen, where we're going to talk about the classic comic and what it means to us. We probably won't beat the movie too much because that would be a whole other podcast where we beat the movie to death and we'll talk about the sequels or the prequels or whatever DC is doing next Watchmen Babies Watchmen Babies they're coming (laughs) they're coming Baby Rorschach and Baby Night Owl who knows what they could be doing Um, but until then I want to thank my fellow members of the comic book club Jason Brightman thanks for being here thank you and for sharing the love and Lisa Schmeiser thank you for being here it was a delight to have you here Uh, Until next time on The Incomparable Podcast, I'm Jason Snell. Thanks for listening. 